listening to Ping, a new podcast by Abenik discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. If you missed our first shows from the end of last year and are wondering what this podcast is all about, each fortnight we chat with internet researchers and operators from around the world about the research they are doing and insights they've gained into the well-being of the internet. For those who've been listening, welcome back and thanks for the shares, feedback and reviews. And if you've subscribed, thanks for that too. Okay, let's jump into our first show for 2022. Today, we're talking to Romain Fontoun, a senior researcher from Internet Initiative Japan, whose research interests include detecting network traffic anomalies and visualizing network traffic. Like many internet researchers, Romain and his colleagues at IIJ rely on open data related to internet usage, internet traffic flows, and overall network health. This type of data stems from external public sources from around the world and can be used by anyone. Romain will share some best practices for collecting and using open data for those new to using such sources and discuss the need to have an objective in mind when trying to understand the data. Our regular greetings got cut off from the recording, so we'll start with Romain's answer to the first question I asked him about what he looks for in an open data source. Yeah, I'm I'm personally looking for any data that will help me to understand better the, the topology of the internet. And that means I'm looking uh, uh, for data that is uh, very large scale, that is really at the internet wide scale. Why is large scale important? Uh, because in my research project, I, I really want to observe the whole internet or be able to focus on on some places. I don't want to constrain my view only on what happens in Japan or what happened for Google or or any other network. So I'm trying to have this, uh, to find those data sets that are as wide as possible. This is, of course, a trade-off. Like you have always have to trade off like the scale for the, uh, the granularity of the data. Uh, otherwise, data get uh, huge. And one thing that is important also is to have data that is updated. In research, there is uh, a lot of people that are going to make their data available, but it's just like a one shot. You know, they, they had the study for a paper, they study whatever it's, it's about the internet, and they take their result and put it online. This is nice so that people can reproduce, they can compare some of their results. But usually it's not that useful in the sense that if I found a cool study from last year or even like this year at a conference and I have an idea and I want to compare to that, if I do my study now, then the data will be out of phase with their results. So it's better for them if they can like update data constantly. But of course, it's very hard. Uh, this is one of the main problems, I think, for uh, people that try to source uh, data. Sourcing data and creating data at the same time? Yeah. So the one of the main challenges, I think, for sourcing data is you want to make your data up, up to date. But for that, you have to automate like the whole pipeline. So usually when we do a research study, there is always a bit of manual work where you have to touch a bit the data in some ways. And to automate all of that is sometimes a bit hard. And uh, the problem with automation, it's, it breaks. <laughs> we, and here I really speak uh, out of experience, like our systems uh, break all the time. Like uh, we're using other open data sources. We 
infer something from this data and then publish data. And every time there is an API that change or data format that change, everything breaks. I'm not even talking about the, all the hardware issues that could happen. So for people that are sourcing data, it's, it's important to take this into consideration at the beginning. Like you need a very good planning of how much it's going to cost, how the data set going to grow, and uh, how can I keep my data uh, up to date? That's a good point in terms of the sustainability of the data. So why is ongoing data collection important? Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the difference with uh, maybe other scientific topic is the, the internet is constantly changing. So we are looking at, at moving targets. And if I get a data from five years ago, uh, it might not reflect anything about the internet today. So those data sets are very, they're more useful if they're up to date because they can tell me about something uh, that is going on on today's internet, not uh, yesterday's internet. And I think that's a big difference. Like if you compare to I don't know, biology or astronomy, like if you get data from a star a century ago, it might still be relevant. But for the internet, uh, 10 years ago, it's already like too late. <laughs> and I guess it's also a reason why you need to be careful about where you're sourcing the data from considering whether they will have an, that ongoing ability to produce the same data sets over the next five years or 10 years, depending on the length of your study? Yeah, that's, that's a problem in the, in the research community. I see like two problems here. The one is the, the people working, uh, doing the studies are usually uh, students and students at some point have to graduate, hopefully, and they're going to go on with their life and do something else. Uh, the other problem is the funding. Most of the funding in uh, research, at least for academia, uh, usually like short-term uh, project. It's going to be three, five years. And the question is always, okay, what happened after three or five years? How do you make this uh, outcome uh, sustainable? And I think it would be nice to see more funding uh, towards like uh, okay, how do we maintain uh, this project? There is some project, like it's, it's incredible to see how uh, RodViews, for example, which is from a university, is very old. They've been here for a long time. And uh, I guess they always have to run after uh, different fundings. Uh, that would be nice to see some like long-term fundings for this project that are uh, very useful. A lot of people are using that data. Yeah, because institutions are around for a long time Students come and go, but institutions stay. So you would hope that they would be able to establish an ongoing study. Um, I wanted to return to your point about automation. It's something that you mentioned is a challenge with sourcing open data. Is this related to the required cleaning and labeling process that you need to do with open data sources? Yeah. <laughs> so these two don't go in, in hand. I mean, they, they don't go well together. Like the, the cleaning and the labeling usually requires some uh, human in the loop, uh, especially the cleaning. Like the cleaning, you want someone that really understands what data should be and uh, what to expect from the data. And what I do usually for cleaning is like, I will take a data set, look at uh, basic stats, at the distribution of some values or doing like simple visualization. And the data always have outlier values that you want to remove, or maybe you are interested in these uh, outlier values. 
And this is fairly hard to automate, this cleaning. The labeling is uh, another concern. So I'm thinking of, for example, machine learning. You need a lot of labeling. And these are hard to automate too. And it's also another point that I, I didn't uh, raise is the, um, the metadata around the, the data that is published is very important. So, for example, Ripe Atlas you know, is just devices doing press route and pings. But having a bunch of trace route and pings might be uh, completely useless if you don't know where they're from. So Atlas has this tagging uh, system. You can uh, check like from which country is the probe. Is it uh, behind that or not? Uh, there is a lot of like meta information that could be very useful. And, and some of the projects are missing this. So uh, if I go back to the routing uh, data, like route views and risks, uh, it's sometimes hard to understand where the data is from. The, the data is collected from routers, but there is uh, different ways of, of sharing routing data for a router. And I think some more metadata there could be helpful for the analysis. What sort of metadata are you talking about? This is something that uh, we usually forget when we are sharing open data because we're just focused on the data, but the environment, like everything that is uh, around it, like how it was collected, and uh, this is very important. The documentation, like how the data is collected and what is the process, this is extremely important also to understand the type of data we are dealing with. And this is not only for open data. It's like any data set has bias and limitations. And to understand this, the documentation, understanding how the data is collected, there might be some curation uh, process. So usually when we collect data, there is always these funky cases we have to take care of. And there is usually no clean way to do that. So it's going to be someone that have to restart something sometime or clean some part of the data set. And, and documenting this is very important so that the user can uh, know that if there is a hole in the data, it's because uh, there was a maintenance or, or something like that. What other best practices can researchers and network operators use when collecting data? So, as I just said, the documentation is very important for, for researchers and for anyone that, that share open data. Uh, they can really increase the number of users by uh, making the process of getting the data uh, easier too. So a lot of people now have like APIs to, to query the data. And this is very important. Like usually people have some very specific question in mind. So they're going to look at the data set and they want to query the data set to extract like the useful information from it. And uh, the data set we are talking about are now, are, some of them are very, very large. So you cannot just download everything and, and pick the, the interesting piece by yourself. So having API is important for that. Having visualization tools also uh, very important so that people can have a grasp of the data before they uh, really uh, get their hand on the data. But yeah, going back to the question, so the, the best practice are um, documentation. <laughs> I think I will say that so many times. Um, and I should probably do more documentation for my own data sets. Documentation, metadata, and thinking ahead of how to uh, keep the data up to date. 
Because I think it's better to sometimes be a bit more modest, saying like, okay, I'm not going to put all the data online. I will make like a, a light version of it, but it's going to be up to date and it's going to be here for the next 10 years for sure. This is much more useful than having that huge data set that contains everything and the project will die in a year. Totally. And I mean, there is such a thing as collecting and sharing too much data, isn't there? Particularly from a sustainable point of view of projects. Yeah, sure. That's a trap. And you cannot predict the unpredictable. Like you cannot know like what people are going to look for in your, in your data set. But it's usually good to know why you share this data first. You know, you have a goal. Like you, this data was helpful for you. And then you share it to the others. Just collecting data for the sake of collecting data is uh, it's dangerous. Yeah. So this comes back to your point on needing to have an objective in mind and finding the data that seeks to prove whatever your hypothesis is or disprove whatever it is at the same time. Um, what's your advice for someone new to network analytics in terms of how to get started in sourcing and using open source data? All right. So for using data, there's a lot of trap. <laughs> And this is not only for open data, of course. The, the main problem I see from people is, is usually they just take data for granted. So they, they find a data set. Now you could give a lot of examples. They just take a, a data set and they think like, okay, this data set claim it's X. And they just take it like that, take it for granted and use it, not even considering that the data is biased, the data limitation is probably missing something. It's probably just a view from somewhere on the internet. And I think for someone uh, using open data, the first thing is to read the documentation, trying to understand how the data was collected. What is the really the semantic of the data? What this data means? Like the speed test, you know, the speed test just englobe a lot of different things. What, what is the data I'm looking for exactly? And does it match or not? And I'm guessing it's also another form of validation, which you touched on earlier, and the need to uncover any biases. So finding more than one source is always useful as well, if you can. Yeah, true. So the, usually the way I start with data is, again, these data sets are big. Just take a sample of it and look at the, the basic of it. Like, does it. And sometimes it sounds like silly, but you just check again, like, I expect internet speed to be positive you know it's not negative you don't have minus uh megabits per second this on city but it's always good to check that <laughs> these kind of things like you have to do those uh sanity checks look for what are the outliers so outlier the primary outliers values is when then you do data analysis and you compute basic stat like the average and whatever standard deviation um the outlier will really skew those uh, values. So it's always good to understand what are your outliers. And in some cases, we have, we have example where uh, the outlier are just the, imp the interesting thing. We had an analysis on routing data where we just filter out all the rest of the data and just look at the outlier value. Like those cases that shouldn't happen, is it a problem of the system that collect the data or is it really showing some uh, corner cases that happen in routing, for example. And we had some very interesting studies on, on those. The last thing I would say like about using open data or data in general is understanding the uh, 
confounding variables. So usually we have something in mind. We take data to look for, to like validate uh, hypothesis, for example. And we are just focusing on this. But there could be a lot of different factors that explain why the data is, is that way. And it, usually it's, it's always good to think about like, what are all the possible ways that could have an impact on my data set? Like one example will be um, with COVID. If you look at the number of positive cases uh, per country, you will see that uh, Japan is very low compared to some countries in, in Europe, let's say France. But if you see like how the test is done in Japan, so in Japan, you need to uh, go to a doctor, get a certificate, then you have to pay for the PCR test. This is a fairly like complicated and costly process to get tested. And um, I don't know, I feel like in, in France, you could, uh, you could be tested at the entrance of a nightclub. So... Does it make sense to compare uh, the number of positive cases in Japan and in France? Probably not. But it's easy to do. It's easy just to see those numbers. You can go on Google and, and Google it and try to compare them. But you probably don't want to compare the absolute value. You, you might compare the shape, like when, when is the waves happening and stuff like that. But it's, it's really important, again, to understand what the data represents. What are the confounding variables that could make the value different? and then compare what is comparable. That makes sense. You're not going to compare a sample size of 10,000 to a sample size of a 100 and make a definitive assessment. You need something that's more similar. Uh, so definitely when you're looking at comparing different open data sources, you need to look at that similarity. Uh, do you have any final words of advice for our budding network analytic listeners? Uh, well, I think we've covered a lot today. Huh? Totally. I mean, you've provided some key fundamentals on working with open data sources when it comes to studying the internet and some really useful best practices. I'm sure there are many listeners out there who have been working as network operators and have had to or chosen to to do network analytics in their roles, most of which they probably learned on the job. But I'm sure many will attest that it's always good to know the basic theory and best practices associated with new areas. I mean, we're always trying to learn, aren't we? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and and I think a lot of like like for everyone, like network operators and researcher, we've been trained to uh, we've learned about networking, like protocols and stuff like that. But we we are not always trained about data analysis, which is a different topic, you know, statistics and stuff. Further to this, uh, hopefully, from being aware of these open data sources and how to use them, it can help the research community too as the industry can potentially fund ongoing data collection projects which assist them in understanding what their networks look like from the outside and potentially also contributing to or validating data for these projects. Romain, thank you for sharing your experience and helping us improve how we use and analyse open data. Thank you very much. And thanks to everyone who's made it this far. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please do subscribe, write a review and tell your colleagues about it. And if you've got a story or research to share, get in contact via email, ping at apenic.net or our APNIC social media channels. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.